We have finished up a, a wonderful Christmas season in the Lord, uh, haven't we? We've kept pretty busy. Uh, did you ever hear what Adam said just before Christmas? Never heard what Adam said the day before Christmas. Uh, he said, it's Christmas, Eve. Obligatory, but it's out of the way now so we can move forward. Welcome to week one of You Pick 2020. And, of course, this is the uh, sermon series in which you've sent me your Bible questions or topics for suggestion from the pulpit. I've uh, prayerfully responding, uh, or I am prayerfully responding, rather, each week on those throughout the month. You can keep those coming, though. I've still got one or two I'm filling in. Uh, as you may remember from previous years, the questions answered in this series uh, will range, not only in content, but also in controversy, as they usually tend to do. Uh, to kick things off, this week's question we're going to answer is, uh, what does the devil do? What does he do? And to uh, answer the question this morning, we're going to make uh, three major stops in the New Testament, as they're highlighted up here on the screen, uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 out of Colossians. Before we jump into the text, just want to ask you briefly, uh, do any of these sentences sound familiar? Any of these statements? Maybe, maybe you've thought some of these before. Uh, maybe you've heard them. They sound like this. You're just not good enough. You'll fail. You're a loser. You'll never make the grade. You're only going to mess this up like you always do. Just who do you think you are anyway? Nobody likes you. Or worse yet, nobody loves you. A couple more. Just throw in the towel now. Quit while you're ahead. You might as well just give up and go home. You ever heard a voice or two maybe say things like these to your heart before? How about some of the following statements? Do any of these suggestions, any of these thoughts sound familiar to you? Just go ahead and do it. Nobody's watching. Oh, come on. Who is it going to hurt? It's only cheating if you don't get caught. If you get caught, rather. He might have been a little twisted on that, but you knew what I meant. Feels good, right? Then it is good. Better look out for number one. Just do what you want to do. Have a good time all the time. You only live once. Forget about everybody else. Just worry about yourself. Well, the source of these statements has considerable power in our lives. And understand this today, he's our greatest opponent. What are we going to do about Satan? One preacher talks about many years of experience that he has had as a high school basketball coach. You already know, well, it's not this guy. He notes how the key to defeating one's opponent on the court is to know how they maneuver. This coach took many road trips just to watch his team's op opponents play, and he put it this way, we'd study our opponents so thoroughly, we could teach our entire team their plays. The time spent scouting paid off because we beat more teams that had more talent than we had. Similarly, the deeds of our opponent, the devil, can be studied via scripture. By knowing what God's word says about the devil, we can then begin to recognize Satan's voice. Satan likes to spout off one of two things typically to us, accusation and temptation. 
The Bible says then we can respond to the devil like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 to 10. First, a little ancient history on our opponent in the faith. It's important to note that the fallen angel, uh, Satan, was not always in existence. He's not the opposite of Jesus. He and all other angels were created, Psalm 148, before the world as we know it. In the 28th chapter of Ezekiel, we read a description of Satan before his fall from glory, before he was cast out from the Lord's domain. The Bible here refers to him as the king of Tyre. I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version of what's going on here in the text. The prophet Ezekiel tells us that before his fall, Satan was a beautiful creature, verses 13 and 14. After he rebelled against God desiring to take the place of God, Revelation 12.4 goes on to add that at the point of his fall, Satan took a third of God's angels with him. So if it seems as though there are times in our lives in which we are under constant attack from Satan, the name itself meaning adversary or opposer, it's used 52 times in Scripture, we're right on the money when it comes to Satan and his demons. Uh, you might make a note here of Revelation 12.10 and 20.10. Moving forward on the timeline, just as the devil had a conquest for the angels of heaven in the past, Satan has one goal in mind for the people of earth in the present, and it's this. Satan is hell-bound, and he wants to drag as many of us to the same hell as he's going in the future. That's the only goal. That's the, that's the only thing he's up to. The name Lucifer, which we sometimes hear, uh, from ancient times, it means son of the morning or light bearer, Isaiah 14, 12. And this name was an appropriate description of the angel before he fell. We can only imagine in glory uh, what kind of a being he was. New Testament scripture, of course, refers often to Satan's appearance today as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11. So many of the authors, uh, painters and whatnot, kind of got this wrong. You know, we got this cartoon modern thinking. He's got... Uh, the red suit on with the horns. But in actuality, Satan's going to be a lot smoother than that when we start hearing from him. Underneath whatever facade he has on at the moment, he's still the devil. The word is used 35 times in Scripture. The original Greek, that which we've translated, means slanderer. Once again, accuser. Gives us a little bit of an idea of what he spends his time doing, what he's up to. And, of course, this leaves us with two options when we consider the conquest of the devil. And we talked about this a little bit last week, actually, in our message on being a servant. We've got the light of the world, who is Jesus. But if we're not trusting in the light of the world, who is Jesus, the Bible tells us we're still blinded and deceived by the devil. That, quote, serpent of old, as he appeared in third chapter of Genesis. We have a group of people uh, on this planet that uh, will tell you that it's up to us to make this world a better place to live and that we're actually capable of doing so. But that's not what the Bible says. If we look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 4, it's revealed whose pocket this place is in, who has the upper hand at the moment, ever since the fall. And you can follow along with me. It says, in their case, the God of this world, and guess who that is? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. And so here's what we need to keep in mind. Satan doesn't care whether you've been neglecting to live for Jesus because of your low self-esteem or because of your puffed-up arrogance. Either way can sink your proverbial battleship. Anyone remember the uh, singer Tennessee Ernie Ford? This is going back a couple years before my time. Show of hands, who remembers Tennessee Ernie Ford? What was his big hit, one of them? 16 Tons. You remember if the right one don't uh, get you, the left one will? It's kind of the way Satan works. So Satan's kingdom, worth billions of souls right now, if we have 8 billion people on the planet and 2 billion profess Christianity, guess how many right now are heading the other way? As each generation denies the truth of the gospel, as we continue to follow, it's no wonder that the same father of lies, if you remember Genesis 3, who was personified in the garden as a snake, Revelation chapter 12, by the end of the book, how does he show up as a dragon? He's grown a little bit, hasn't he? And by the way, in the meantime, Satan is also on the prowl as a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8, to devour Christians. And he doesn't care if he gets us by pain or by pleasure. Either one will work. A little bit of a personal story for you. Last Sunday morning, I, I, uh, I dragged myself into the church building. This was just last week. And took all the strength I could muster to uh, just get through our, our praise team warm-up up here. And I wasn't, it wasn't because I was ill. It wasn't because I was uh, uh, living up to the name of a bad back carrier. Nobody says that. But I just felt down and out, you know? I just wasn't up for being here. Just, just wasn't up for being here. Have you ever, ever had that? Have you ever experienced that? You, just, you don't have to raise your hands, but you just don't feel like being here, right? If I could have come up with any reason, good reason, and gotten away with it, mind you. It's a little hard when you're a preacher. But if I could have come up with any reason, good reason, to skip worship last week, I would have. Even if you could have given me an IV, uh, coffee IV drip. Some days I think that would be a good idea. But I found out what I needed quickly, and it was to go in that office, shut the door, sit down at my desk, and to pray. I needed to pray. And I needed to pray to God that he would rebuke the devil as the archangel Michael did in Jude verse 9. I needed to pray. I needed to pray quick and I needed to pray deeply and that's what I did. And I spent part of my early morning in that office asking God to deal with the adversary. To deal with the one who was whispering to my heart things like, what does it make a difference whether you preach another sermon or not? Wouldn't you rather go back home and go to bed? got to give the devil credit. He knows me pretty well. But I believe there's someone who knows me better. And I kid you not, I kid you not, uh, the glory of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God became my strength last week. During the entire worship service, I was up here on stage and uh, praise and worship I thought went well. Uh, sermon last week came out better than how I thought I'd prepared it. Holy Spirit of God carried me the whole morning. And uh, we ask this question, what does the devil do? He comes to destroy. He comes to bring chaos. But as Christians, we have some promises from God. 
Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. God has promised that he'll handle the battle, that he'll deal in, with the battle against the authorities and powers of this dark world. I think sometimes as Christians, we forget this. Do you realize this in your hour, in your moment of weakness? I do. I forget it from time to time. I forget in my brokenness and my weakness that uh, the Bible says that no angels, not even the most fallen angel of angels, can separate me from the Lord God without my consent. That's the 8th chapter of Romans. That's a promise. Jump ahead to our next uh, set of texts today. Colossians 2, verses uh, 6 and 15. We've got eight up here. Verse six says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. He, he is Jesus, disarmed, and this is where we are here in verse 15, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What does this tell us? This tells us that Satan's already been defeated. Already been defeated. And last Sunday morning, even in my moment of weakness, when Satan was at it again, I was able to claim this victory that's done by taking the distractions of Satan to the one who's already disarmed him. Already disarmed him. And one day will destroy him. Will destroy him. But I think it's so important I think it's so important that the church keeps in mind what the devil is doing around us, what the devil is doing to us. Too often do we stop and think that in our, in our spiritual weakness, it's not that this doesn't work. It's not that this book of promises we're given are, are, are a bunch of lies. It's that Satan is scheming against us. And by the way, if we're not ever struggling, if everything is always smooth sailing, if the schemes of Satan don't ever ring true in our lives, it, it, it's maybe likely that we're not doing a whole lot for the cause of Christ. There's, there's at least a chance. Well, let's, let's take this a step further. This is a real cause for alarm in the church. Uh, the Barna Group once conducted a poll. Uh, they're, a, they're a Christian uh, firm, by the way. The Barna Group once conducted a poll. Do you believe in the devil as an actual living being, or do you believe the character of Satan is just uh, symbolic? Figurative for evil, you know, as in uh, remove the D and devil becomes evil. More than a third of American Christians, they found out, this is Christian believers, more than a third of American Christians actually responded by saying the devil is nothing more than a symbol of evil. There's evil in the world, but there's no actual Satan. So to me, it sounds like he's won over a great portion of, of so-called believers already. What does the devil do? He, he does all he can to convince us that either he doesn't exist or can't influence us. And how does he do it? Slowly, slowly, a step at a time. How many of you have had a morning last Sunday morning? How, how many of you have had a morning uh, where maybe you've decided it's just not worth your time today to walk in Jesus? First step. First thing Satan wants to do, move any spiritual priorities you may have tomorrow when you get up to the back burner. Getting you away from that silly church you attend on Sunday morning is huge. Maybe you woke up, maybe you were down and out. Maybe you were tempted to uh, blow this one off today, sleep this one in. 
You know, or maybe you were distracted during uh, our time of praise and worship. Maybe you were uh, fresh from having an argument with a family member last night, this morning. Looking back, have you ever been in those, in those shoes where, looking back, boy, it was the silliest argument you've ever had, you know? Does this ring a bell? Maybe you're a, a young mom and dad. Have you ever been in one of those serious discussions? You know, not, not fight, because Christians don't fight. You're even in a serious discussion with the person on the way over the church building. And all of a sudden you pull up and you see the cross and you have to all of a sudden get everybody perfect. It's 1030, you know, and you're walking in the church building whispering as loud as a human whisper can get. Hang on, it's church time. We'll finish this later. Just put on a smile. Might as well put on a bracelet, you know, WWTDD. What does the devil do? We're good at facades. Often we're trained well in them. It's tough for my wife and I to have one of those discussions because it only takes like four seconds to walk in the church building for us. (laughs) Don't forget who your enemy is. If you've forgotten that our enemy approached Adam and Eve, and this is within a garden of perfection. 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 Our enemy could get close enough to Jesus to tempt him. Close enough to Jesus, who was perfect, who was God. If you've forgotten that the devil is called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2, the ruler of this world in John 12, 31, remember God's word. The spiritual battle that you're likely finding yourself in any time you're pursuing the things of God, it's no coincidence. Satan is going to come to you as often as he can just to try to hold you back from Jesus. So respond to Satan like Jesus. What do we read? What do we see today? As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Keep in mind that his schemes are real. It's okay to believe that, as they say, the struggle is real. But so is God's faithfulness to you. So is God's faithfulness to you. It's good to remember. It's helpful to remember. No matter how much the devil hates you, and he does. No matter how much the devil wants to destroy you, and he does, the Lord loves you more. Sometimes we just need a reminder from time to time in this world that he's got our back. One preacher tells the story of a colleague who was counseling a teenage girl. She was depressed and uh, even contemplated suicide. The young lady had expressed feelings of hatred for her uh, self, for others. She would even physically abuse her own body. See, at some point, a, a voice inside her head started telling her she was no good. At some point, she started believing that lie. At one point in their conversation, the counselor stood up, pointed at a cross hanging on the wall of his office, turned to the young lady and declared, look at this, my friend. Look at this. This is how much God loves you, and this is how important you are. This is how much you matter. This is the way it is for all of us. This is the truth. This is how important each one of us in this room is to God. The devil's likely telling each one of us in this room right now, or he will be later today, or he was earlier this morning, that either we're uh, not good enough or we're too good for God. He's likely bringing up the past. Someone has said the next time the devil reminds you of the past, you remind the devil of his future. 
Maybe we say, hold it, preacher, something's bothering me. If, if Jesus defeated Satan at the cross of Calvary, why then is the devil still up to no good in my life? How can he still be telling me I'm not worth saving, accusing me of sins that God has long since forgiven? If Jesus has crushed him, how can there still be conquest in this world for that old serpent? Here's an interesting story about a different kind of snake, although one that is similarly dangerous in the physical sense. Last year, uh, uh, a man named Jeremy Sutcliffe took a shovel to decapitate a four-foot-long western diamondback rattlesnake that recently startled his wife, Jennifer. When Jeremy went to pick up the severed head of the snake, it was still able to sink its fangs deep into Jeremy's flesh to release what was a near-deadly dose of venom. His wife, Jennifer, who happened to be a nurse, got Jeremy into a car to take him to a hospital. Two miles into the trip, and Jeremy began to suffer a seizure. He proceeded to lose his vision, and later doctors determined he would suffer internal bleeding as well. Meeting up with an ambulance and then a helicopter, Jeremy was flown to a hospital as the 40-year-old's organs began shutting down due to the venom. The first 24 hours were extremely difficult, but eventually Jeremy's condition grew stable in the hospital critical care unit. A biology professor at Cornell University would comment about the situation to NPR. A severed viper head can certainly deliver a dangerous bite, as can the unsecured head of a recently killed snake. Hard to believe? Professor Green continued, the typical rattlesnake can keep moving for up to a few hours, even after it's split in two. There's a new uh, nightmare for you, the zombie snake apocalypse. The Lord certainly did as he would promise near the beginning of the Bible. Severed the head of Satan, Genesis chapter 3. But Satan is still moving. On the way down to the hell that awaits him, he's taking as many with him as one ago. When, when one author writes, when Satan brings you down, confide in your Savior. When you fall to temptation, confess your sin. And that's what we need to do. That's where we need to be busy after Satan does what he does. Colossians 2.16, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has already defeated this beast, and that's a promise. But each and every Christ follower must take full confidence in this finished work. What the Son has done, no matter what the devil continues to do. You know, if we think about it, the devil has, has been at his fabricating and fear-mongering for thousands of years. I can only think of a similar longevity and work ethic in, in, I don't know, maybe Keith Richards. I'm kidding. You know, sometimes the power of suggestion is, is all Satan needs to get the best of us, right? During the uh, Middle Ages, a 10th century bishop uh, named Dunstan reported seeing a, a physical manifestation of Satan in his workshop. The story concludes he, he claimed to have seized the, the intruder's nose with a pair of red-hot metal tongs. On a less fantastic note, the famous Martin Luther wrote he was plagued incessantly by encounters with the devil. On one occasion, Luther even threw an ink pot to strike him. 
We know thousands of individuals were accused of being Satan's direct helpers during the witch hunts of the 16th and 17th centuries. Now, stories would be told of witches living in communities who would be tortured and far worse. Perhaps we remember, uh, it's been a few years, but in the 1960s in some parts of the country, uh, Satanism re reached su such popularity uh, that the uh, Satanic Bible series written by Anton LaVey found an unlikely publisher, Avon Books. Can you imagine your Avon lady showing up to your door with... <laughs> the devil gets plenty of attention in this world. C.S. Lewis wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil and his demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and, and unhealthy interest in them. The demons themselves are equally pleased by both errors and consider a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And so this word occult, which means hidden, it's practiced in all forms, explicitly forbidden by God's word. Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 18. But here's the thing. Luke the evangelist tells us all we need to know. Would you open to Acts chapter 19 with me? All we need to know about the hidden knowledge of God. If you'd open to Acts chapter 19 with me and look at, look at verse 13 through about 18. This is the biblical account in which a demon on the inside of a possessed person laughs at these sons of this high priest who are, who are attempting an exorcism. Quote, by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And in verse 15, the evil spirit answers them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Well, what's happening here? These exorcists are trying to use divine power to cast out the demon in the name of Jesus. Only one problem, they didn't have the right to do so. These uh, sons of this high priest weren't apostles. They weren't even believers of Jesus. They were divining without permission by the divine. So what happens? Well, it's an interesting story. As the uh, demon-possessed man jumps on him, kind of gives him a good whooping, as we might say, the moral is that demons don't fear creation, they fear the creator. So don't dabble with demons unless you're the creator. Second moral of the story, if we fear God, we needn't fear the presence of the devil and his demons in the world. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And so that tells me, and that should tell all of us, steer clear of certain activities. One author writes, there are only two sources of supernatural power in the world, God and Satan. Satan only has the power that God allows him to have, such as in the book of Job, but Satan wields it in destructive ways that are far beyond human ability to combat. So what, what do we do? Where's our point here? When confronted with that occult-based location on the map or film series, New Age section of the bookstore, that haunted house down the street. Perhaps we should ask not, what is the devil up to here? But what should a Christ follower do in response? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How are we responding to the devil in the world today? continue to walk in Christ.
I'd like to close this morning by sharing a speech which was broadcast. Perhaps some of you have heard this. I found this uh, incredibly relevant to the message. This was broadcast on ABC Radio over 50 years ago. April 3rd, 1965. Maybe some of you have heard this. Uh, the speech is called If I Were the Devil by Paul Harvey. And I thought as we closed up to together our time in the Word, maybe we'd find a, a part or two of this that, that rang true to us. This is not my work, but in the spirit of C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters, I, I think it will make an appropriate conclusion. Paul Harvey writes, or says rather, I'm not going to try to do the voice, don't worry about that. If I were the devil, I mean if I were the prince of darkness, Ephesians 6.12, I would, of course, want to engulf the whole earth in darkness. I would have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I would not be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. So I should set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I would begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide uh, that what is bad is good and what is good is square. If you're really young, that means uncool. In the years of the newlyweds, I would whisper, the work is debasing, the cocktail parties are good for you. I would caution them not to be extreme in religion, in patriotism, in moral conduct. And the old I would teach to pray, I would teach them to say after me, Our Father, which art in Washington. Mr. Harvey continues, If I were the devil, I'd educate authors on how to make dirty literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. And then I'd get organized. I'd infiltrate unions and urge more loafing and less work because idle hands usually work for me. I'd peddle nar narcotics to whom I could, I'd sell alcohol to people of distinction, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects but neglect to discipline emotions. Let those run wild. I would designate an atheist to front for me before the highest courts in the land, and I would get preachers to say she's right. With flattery and promises of power, I could get the courts to rule what I consider is against God and in favor of pornography. And thus I would evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress, and then in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion. And then I would make science holy, because that way men would become smart enough to create super weapons, but not wise enough to control them. Here's the final part of his speech here. Listen closely. If I were Satan, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I would take from those who have, and I would give to those who wanted, until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And then my police state would force everybody back to work. Then I could separate families, putting children in uniform, women in coal mines, and objectors in slave camps. In other words, I'd just keep on doing what he's already doing. This was 1965. Does any of it ring true to us today? What does the devil do? Just take a look. His work is all around us. And sometimes he might even whisper it to you. See if you'll further the work, further the cause. But even so, greater is he that is within you 
That's a promise. 1 John 4, 4. Jesus has long since overcome the darkness with the light. It's our choice to live in the light. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we come to you today. We come to you in prayer that you would give us the courage and the strength with your word and in your spirit that we would have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Lord, we come to you in prayer that we would consider ourselves dead to the world, alive in Christ, and that we would continue the work started by that early church. Lord, we know that, that, that we, we have a battle every day to fight. But you've already won. I pray, Lord, that, that in our weakness, you would be there. That you, would, you would remind us of your love for us. Your love, Lord, that went all the way to the cross, defeated death, crushed the head of the serpent and that invites us to be with you forever and ever. Lord, it's such a short time that we are here in this place. Help us, God, to remember what's truly important. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us humble you would keep us on the right track, that you would keep us coming back to you. Help us to be aware, aware of the world we're living in, aware of the schemes of the enemy. Pray, Lord, that when we feel defenseless, when we feel that we're on the attack, pray for your strength, for your guidance, that you would rebuke the evil one in our church, in our home, in our neighborhood. Help us, Lord, to take a firm stand in your love. God, your, your love and your grace and your mercy that you have for us is unparalleled. And we're so thankful for it. We're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful for the promise that you give us. That at baptism, we become new creatures. And so long as we choose, we, we are out of, out of grasp. No one can take us away from you. Help us to remain in you as you remain in us. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Today we're going to uh, go into our time of invitation with a song that I think most of us remember, I'll Fly Away. Again, a promise made to each one of us, new creatures in Christ, that someday the one who loves us is going to come back return to those of us who remain in him. Hold on. This is a scary time. We hear of wars. We hear of rumors of wars in the world around us. And we know who ultimately is behind the chaos 
and the destruction and the division. We also have this promise that has not changed in a world that seems to be changing all the time. He's returning. He's coming back soon. He'll have a place ready for each one of us in Him. If you've not yet made this commitment and become one of His family, fall down into those waters of baptism and come up a new person. Please don't delay. Do it today. Would you stand and sing our invitation song?